Hey, it's Craig. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Canadian History X early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Greetings and welcome to another episode of Canadian History X. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can for as little as $3 a month. Just go to patreon.com slash CanadaEHX. You can also donate to the podcast by going to CanadaEHX.com and clicking donate. Don't forget, I have two other podcasts out there, Pucks and Cups and From John to Justin, available on all podcast platforms. It is one of the most important treaties signed in the history of Canada, and it came 166 years before Canada was ever a country. As I talked about in my episode on the Beaver Wars, so go check it out on my website, the 1600s was a time of conflict between the indigenous of the Great Lakes region and the French who were settling in greater numbers. This was no small war, lasting from about 1609 to 1701, and it was fought over the economic dominance of the St. Lawrence River Valley and the Lower Great Lakes region. The biggest factor was the growing fur trade and the efforts of the French to dominate it. The indigenous in the regions where the French were present wanted to be the middle people with the French and the fur trade, leading to conflicts between several indigenous nations. The wars would cause huge disruptions to the Algonquin and Iroquois societies, and its impact would last well beyond the 1700s and all the way up into today. The war would push the Iroquois to ally with the British during the Revolutionary War, and it would see them lose most of their land over the course of the next two centuries. The indigenous, especially the Haudenosaunee, wanted to prevent French expansion in the latter half of the 17th century, but war and disease had decimated their numbers. The Haudenosaunee had the English as allies, but they were unreliable and the Anishinaabe prevented their expansion into the north as the French moved west. I encourage you to check out that episode again on my website, CanadaEHX.com. That war, one of the largest and most comprehensive ever fought on Canadian soil, would come to an end thanks to the Great Peace of Montreal. Now there's a various indigenous names here and I'm going to do my best to pronounce them and I do apologize if I mispronounce any names. In 1690, negotiations would begin to end the conflict, with Governor Frontenac leading the talks for New France. By this time, the fur market in New France was so saturated that the French could no longer absorb the materials coming in from their posts. The French were willing to push for peace so that they could have a greater access to the fur markets of the interior as well. In November of 1698, Louis-Hector de Callier became the governor of Montreal and the governor of New France in the spring of 1699. This would bring a noticeable change to the area due to the character of Governor Callier. He was described by Jesuit historian Charlevoix as, quote, He had a straight and disinterested views, without prejudice and without passions, a firmness always in accord with reason a valor which always knew how to moderate itself and render useful service, great common sense, much uprightness, 
and honor, a clear mental vision and great application to duty joined to great experience. End quote. One of his first tasks was to find a way to end the war, which was a series of skirmishes, battles, and raids rather than one long, drawn-out war. It was his hope that a peace treaty would strengthen the fur trade alliances New France had with the Western indigenous. In March of 1700, the French and Iroquois met with the Anadonga to discuss peace. A few months later, in September, a provisional peace treaty was signed with the Hurons, Ottawas, Abenakis, and the Iroquois. With progress being made, it was decided that a new treaty, which would include many more indigenous, including all five Haudenosaunee nations, which would include the Mohawk, would be scheduled to be held in Montreal the following summer. Through the next 10 months, negotiations would continue through select French emissaries, clergy, soldiers, and indigenous leaders. The emissaries would go out to the various indigenous nations asking them to attend. Once an indigenous nation received an invitation, they could decide if they wanted to participate. If they decided to attend, then the community would discuss what they would bring to the event and what topics would be discussed. Delegates were then chosen, with an orator chosen to speak at the meetings. Not all communities chose to go, preferring to make their own treaties. In some cases, they did not want to exchange prisoners as their own prisoners had become accustomed to their new community. Another issue was that there was an epidemic in Montreal, and there was a real fear of disease spreading. On July 21, 1701, the process began to create the peace treaty that would end the century of conflict. A total of 39 nations sent 1,300 delegates to discuss terms. This is significant because the population of Montreal at the time was only 1,200. The indigenous came from as far away as Illinois in the Maritimes to discuss the treaty, and it was no quick task. As the canoes arrived, the cannons were fired as a sign of welcoming. There were several matters that the indigenous wanted to address, including the expansion of New France, the fur trade, and access to traditional hunting grounds for the indigenous. Prior to the signing of anything, each indigenous nation would have a representative speak to the other indigenous nations. This would be important thanks to Kondiaronk, a man I will talk about later. Typically, the indigenous nations would speak directly to Governor Callier. As each orator spoke, they would present various gifts including beaver pelts and wampum belts. The French returned the favor offering gifts including the traditional bread and wine. In order to impress the indigenous, Governor Callier, who the indigenous called Onatio, set up a 42 by 23 meter size platform on a height of land just south of where people would be speaking. The residents of Montreal, everyone from farmers to soldiers to clergy to merchants, came out to watch the huge event that was a first in the history of Canada. Over the next few weeks, it was not constant talking by delegates. Often groups broke into smaller groups to debate matters of the treaty, and other delegates would go to trade in the shops of Montreal. According to eyewitness accounts, the entire city was in a mood to trade and celebrate. Shopkeepers would hire interpreters so they could trade with the indigenous. Of course, there were disputes and recriminations, and some days it looked as though no treaty would be signed. It is in no small part that the success of the treaty has to be placed on Kondiaronk, and again, more on him later. Finally, on August 4, 1701, the treaty was officially agreed upon, and this was done through the Haudenosaunee Condolence Ceremony, 
which consisted of the exchange of gifts and prisoners in a large field outside Montreal that was created for the signing of the treaty. On the treaty document, the symbols of the various indigenous dudums and clan symbols were inscribed, including the turtle, wolf, bear, and eagle. To commemorate the treaty, Governor Callier would have wampum belts commissioned for each of the indigenous nations present, and pipes would be smoked to ratify the great peace as well, with some indigenous nations offering pipes to their former enemies to, quote, smoke when we next meet each other, end quote. Under the treaty, the Iroquois League agreed to allow the French settlement to continue at Detroit, which had been founded in July of that year, and they agreed to remain neutral in the event of a war between England and France. The Haudenosaunee were permitted to trade freely and obtain goods from the French at a lower cost, and all the nations agreed that the governor of New France would mediate disputes among the nations, which also created a kinship relationship between the nations and the French. One of the chiefs assigned was the aforementioned Condioronk, who was a member of the Michilimackinac people. He was a vital part of encouraging the other indigenous tribes to see that there was an advantage to having peace, and it's because of him that the talks would succeed. He would give a speech that was convincing enough that many of the resistant indigenous nations were convinced to sign the agreement, and Condioronk knew that Montreal was dealing with influenza at the time, but he came instead because he saw the importance of the treaty. He would say, quote, We have found many of our brothers dead along the river. Word has spread that a sickness was great in Montreal. All these corpses were eaten away by the birds, which we found at every moment were sufficiently convincing of it. But we made a bridge of all those bodies on which we marched firmly. End quote. Condioronk was sick at the time, and his health was beginning to fail. And to speak, he was given an armchair in the middle of the assemblage and the indigenous and French gathered around him. Father Charlevoix would write, quote, He spoke long and was listened to with infinite attention. He explained the necessity of peace, of the advantages of accruing therefrom for the country in general and each tribe in particular, end quote. Condioronk would go on to speak about the exchange of prisoners, saying, quote, you absolutely insist that we bring you all the Iroquois slaves among us. We have obeyed you. Let us see at the same time if the Iroquois obey you, and how many of our nephews they have brought back. If they have done so, it is a mark of their sincerity. If they have not done it, they are treacherous. I know, however, that they haven't brought a single one. End quote. He would also speak to the French, adding a slight dig at the new nation on their shores, saying, quote, among the French, I know of only two of sense, the Count de Frontenac and Father Carheel. Father Carheel was a Jesuit missionary whom Condioronk greatly respected. Father Charlevoix would write, quote, It was the general opinion that no Indian has ever possessed greater merit, a finer mind, more valor, prudence, or discernment in understanding those with whom he had to deal. End quote. The French commissioner of the Marine, Barkerville de la Patherie, would say, quote, If he had been born a Frenchman, he was the kind of man to govern the most difficult affairs of a flourishing state. He had the sentiments of a beautiful soul and was savage in name only. End quote. Governor Callier would say that everyone was, quote, exclusively indebted to him for this assemblage, till then unexampled of so many nations for a general peace. End quote. 
By the time Kondiaronk was done talking, he was exhausted. He would be carried to the Hotel Du, where he died the following night on August 2nd, 1701. He would be given a majestic funeral and was buried at the Notre Dame Church in Montreal. And the Belvedere atop Mount Royal would be renamed for Kondiaronk in 1997. In the book Montreal Old and New, published in 1915, the following is said about Kondiaronk, quote, one of the most eloquent and brainy Indians who ever lived, end quote. On April 24th, I will be doing an episode about Kondiaronk, where I will explore his life in greater detail. Even after the treaty was signed, there were several discussions afterwards about the treaty. On August 6th, Governor Callier met with the Allies of New France to discuss hunting territories and the debt system. During one meeting, Chief Anagandiotak of the Nipissings made a grand gesture of beaver pelt, which he put on the ground in the middle of the council to remind the French that he and his people had always been a good neighbor to the French. He then said he wanted better treatment from their creditors, otherwise they would not survive because they could not afford powder and shot. He stated that his people did not have the hunting territory of the Ottawa, and most of their territory had been destroyed. Governor Callier stated that he should honour whatever agreements that he had with the creditors. And as for the hunting ground, he encouraged them to plant and grow corn rather than hunt. As a result of this, the Nipissing delegates did not place their totem on the treaty. Thanks to the treaty, the French were able to expand militarily over the next 50 years, and it assured the new France would have the superiority in dealing with issues related to the indigenous in the region. From this point on, negotiation would always be chosen over direct conflict with the French, and exploration and commerce in the fur trade began soon after the signing of the treaty. In Montreal, under the French regime, 1535-1760, Volume 1, the event was described, with clear bias, as such, quote, It was a momentous occasion. It was looked upon as the triumph of civilization and Christianity over barbarism and paganism. Montreal, so long beleaguered outpost, the scene of many a bloody onslaught and carnage, was fittingly the arena of the joyous peace celebrations of that evening, heralding brighter days ahead. End quote. The Great Peace of Montreal would last for the next 60 years until the British conquest of New France in 1760. In 2001, the event was honoured on its 300th anniversary with an exhibit at the Pointe-à-Calière Museum of Montreal the first museum to commemorate the event, which included the original manuscript. Canada Post released a stamp on August 3, 2001 to honour the event, and the city of Montreal also has an obelisk marking the location that the treaty was signed in a square in Old Montreal. I hope you enjoyed that episode and my look at the Great Peace of Montreal. If you did, please leave a rating and review. If you like, you can reach me through email at craig at canadaehx.com. You can also visit my website. We will find hundreds of articles on Canada's history as well as all my podcast episodes. Just go to canadaehx.com. And don't forget, you can support the podcast through Patreon. There are multiple tiers to choose from, all with great benefits. You can support the podcast for as little as $3 a month, just like all of these wonderful patrons have. And I apologize if I mispronounce any names. Randy McCallum, Diane Wade, Laurieann Kirby, Gary Dolovich, Nick Zinri, Shannon Marshall, Clinton Martinez, Dimitri Shove, Aaron O'Hara Myers, Robert Dunseith, Todd Casey, K. 
Catherine Oa, Luke S., J.P. Bear, Jason Hall, Phil Maynard, and Iris Gray. If you want, you can find me on Facebook. Just go to facebook.com slash CanadianHistoryX. You can find me on Twitter. My handle is Craig Baird, C-R-A-I-G-B-E-A-I-R-D. And you can find me on Instagram. Just go to Bairdo37. Information comes from Canadian Encyclopedia, Pointe de Calier, Canadian Museum of History, Wikipedia, CBC, virtualmuseum.ca, Montreal Old and New, Canadian Stamp News, Anishinaabek News, and Montreal under the French regime. Thanks, we'll see you again next time.